What's going on, everyone? And welcome to episode 139 of the Bench Time Podcast with Todd and Brett Wiley. Uh, real quick, before we get into this week's guest, I want to announce one new patron, uh, Josh Backhouse. So thanks for becoming a patron, Josh. I know you're already in the um, Facebook group online, so that's a lot of fun. You're already participating in there. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I think he just got the new kit from uh, Foscale Models, the church. So I'm excited to see him build that as well. But do we have an exciting and uh, I've been looking forward to this one now for a little bit since I saw that uh, we had that email thread going back and forth, which you guys pointed out I didn't participate in, uh, my dad and our guest. Um, so I won't wait, let you guys wait any longer. I, we have Stephen Hayworth on this week who hasn't been on our podcast in I don't know how long, Steve. How long has it been? 131 episodes or 132. <laughs> it was, uh, what, number eight? I think number yeah. eight, number 12, something like that. So we have, wow. there's been a Back lot that's happened. A lot has happened since we've had you on. Um, yeah. My word, it's been a lot of episodes since you've been both, on, man. Both between our podcast and you and your modeling, there's been plenty that's happened since we had you on. So Glad to be back. I'm excited to have you back, and uh, it's been too long. It's been about a hundred and at least a hundred episodes too long. So uh, yeah, um, I know now. Before we started this call, my dad and Steve were kind of joking that I did not participate in an email string. Surprise, surprise! That went back and forth. <laughs> um, I just I don't know what happened. I just didn't reply, uh, and I apologize. But I was like the fly on the wall. I was reading them, and then. Uh, now, up. we had him on a second time, so this is entirely true. Yeah, you we were on with someone else. We had him on a second time with uh, another gentleman. Um, and what right, was George, George Pearson. George yes. Pearson, that's right. And uh, so it really technically hasn't been 132, right? Like 120. That's, that's <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah it, was, uh, yeah, it was shortly after we had him on. So, yeah. But, Yeah. Um, we were talking. Well, Steve, tell us tell us what has been going on. Yeah, give in us an the update. Last 120 episodes or so, 120 30 episodes since we had you on last time. What's going on with your layout and where you're at? What's the thing you're into right now? Boy, I'm trying to think. So, I'm trying to remember what I was doing back at that point. So, um, I think uh, uh, you were doing. I remember before you were talking about. Um, some lighting you're working with different types of lighting um if i'm not if i'm mistaken maybe i'm wrong but you were working on like a twilight type of lighting am i wrong right i i i did do that so um i'll just give a quick summary so (laughs) um i i guess the biggest thing is that um the the local group here in the chicago area um that does operating sessions um, started using my layout on a regular basis. So there were groups coming over here just about every six weeks. Um, and that led to a whole bunch of changes. So there is, um, you know, paperwork to help people figure out what trains to run. And there were maintenance because as soon as everything started running, of course, every little detail. So there's a lot of tuning on the locomotives. I ended up adding a couple locomotives, um, to kind of support things. Um, so a whole bunch of stuff around that. 
Um, I was finishing up a bunch of structures at the time with interior lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, uh, in the past, I've done a lot of theater lighting. So I had wanted forever to try and um, do a little more with that on the layout. Um, so I was able to get um, a few little um, tiny stage lights and um, some other lighting changes and basically figured out how to run the layout um, in a night mode. So um, usually operating session is about four hours. So we would run about three hours. And then, you know, I turn all the lights off except for just kind of a uh, sort of a moonlight effect. Um, mm-hmm. You know, turn on um, the few structures that have lights in them since that's still an ongoing project. And then uh, the operators had little flashlights so they could read car numbers and you know have enough to do their switching and that was a blast it was really cool to see you know a little locomotive with a little headlight you know kind of lighting up a dark track going through a canyon or something so oh that's great um yeah we we had a lot of fun in that there's some some shots from that on my blog it's hard to photograph but i, I put a few out there right a few more a few more on facebook i think uh, i did see some of those but now now you were working on when we first talked to you, you were working on a building and you were talking about running lights outside lights. I guess they would be, uh, on the, you know, hanging, I guess they would be, um, gooseneck type lights that would be right. hanging off the building and you would run the conduit and all that. And then you would actually have them actually light up. And how did that work out for you? Do you ever do that? I did. I okay. did. I've, I've got, um, I just added another half dozen buildings, um, onto the layout. So I have uh, pictures on Facebook of them and did scenic and kind of planted them. Haven't wired the lights for those yet, but I have wired the lights on a few others. Mm-hmm. Um, the depot that you mentioned has um, a lot of interior lighting. In fact, so does Vance Junction. It's just not right. um, wired yet. So all of those are using little pre-wired, I think they're 0603 LEDs. They're little tiny LEDs with little tiny magnet wire hmm things pre-soldered you can get them off ebay or other places and they're not expensive um but they're tiny enough that um if i get a gooseneck reflector Mm -hmm. um and just just bend a piece of wire glue the gooseneck on it and the wires are so thin um i can put that little bulb actually up inside um the gooseneck and then just run it back into the building so oh um now and you run the power source for the lights. Do you have to do you have to put any any type of? Do you have to hook them to like a? Oh, I'm not an electronics expert, but it's it's an LED. Are they ready to be just hooked onto a power source? Um, we have to have a resistor on them. Okay, a resistor. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> yes. So a, a lot of people run them off 12 volts. I've got all my lighting running off five volts. So I've got a five volt bus running around the layout that's okay. you know, just lights and so i when i put the resistors on um can't remember what the resistance i think i'm usually using about a like a 600 ohm to a thousand ohm resistor mm-hmm. um and i kind of experiment to see you know what kind of brightness i want on it right um and then it just you know the just ties into that bus circuit right um, okay well, that's cool but uh, yeah, I, I really like the light. This whole this whole idea of running the layout at night 
changes everything mm-hmm. because then all of a sudden I sort of have a motivation to basically light up everything. Right. And, and it's 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 neat to see people that do light up their layouts and then turn the lights down and you know just and use the lighting that they have fixed on because i've seen some absolutely beautiful ones that are done that way then there's a lot of modelers out there that don't want any lighting ever uh, prefer not to lighting. yeah yeah i mean uh, jason jensen was one we talked about that with him and uh he's like he 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 said his layout is meant to be seen in the daylight and uh so far ours is too but we have we have been adding sections where we can put lights in and we have added some lights to some buildings uh, so we're, we're working with that, you know, um, but ours isn't going to be able to be viewed at night. Um, no. the lights that we're, well, throwing, it, it could be, no, but, but it's going to, yeah, but, we're not designing it. You know, as of right now, Stephen, the lights that we're throwing on ours are, um, lights you would see in a city during the daytime, like low underpasses or, um, yeah. you know, things that are, things that would be lit up, things that would be lit up at, during the daytime, um, you know, for safety reasons or stuff like that. Right, right, or just to right. cast light on a shadowy area. Yeah, yeah. Part of my motivation, um, and I, I just like the night scene. I, it's probably my theater lighting background, but um, mm-hmm. also I, you know, I am doing a, quite a bit of interior work um, on almost all the newer buildings I'm doing, and I feel like the best way to show that off, you know, is at night with you know, a, an appropriately dim light inside the structure. Yeah. Cause then you could really look in. Um, otherwise oh, a, in, in the daylight one. mode, it's oh, just sorry, too bright. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. That's okay. I got all excited. <laughs> I was looking at you. Okay. For you listeners out there again, since you haven't been able, you haven't, you ha- we haven't had him on in the last 120 or 30 episodes. Uh, his blog site is, uh, our, rg srr dot blogspot dot yeah rg com and uh sorry about that i my bifocals were playing tricks with me here <laughs> so uh <laughs> but the now um i just ran across a picture on there of his lighting it shows a train looks like it's getting ready to head into a tunnel along a rocky ridge here. And then it has, in the background, you can see the moonlighting that he's talking about. And it has the trees up on the, silhouetted up on the side. And it's almost like a blue haze up above on the mountain uh, ridge line. I love it. It's beautiful. That's so cool. I'm waiting for like a werewolf, uh, not werewolf, a wolf to stick his head out there and, and howl at the moon. That is really, really awesome. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great effect. And again, you know, the the thing with you know, the operating session, you know, it's kinda like using the layout like a giant board game, but you actually have to experience it because then you're not just looking at a static picture. You're like, Oh my goodness, I've got to get this train into this town mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. drop the stuff off. So basically it makes it interactive and that just makes now, you know, the light reflecting off rocks just just a lot more fun for me anyway. Sure, absolutely. Steven, I have a question. So you have uh you know, you have a daylight setting and a night or a night nighttime kind of twilight setting, right? Uh, mm-hmm. with your lighting. So are they both on dimmers? Cuz I have a question that comes next after this. So I re when I before I started the layout, we had to gut the basement. Okay. Um, and so I I actually designed the layout before 
building out the basement. So the okay. the lighting concept was actually part of that. So for daylight, I've basically got um, um, and, and this is all in conduit um, in this area. So um, basically, just fluorescent strips all the way around, um, a little bit in front of the front edge of the fascia. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the daylight look. The nighttime look, uh, and that's the way the lights are angled, um, it lights up the front of the lab. So it's not top light, it's coming in from a little bit in the front, so you can see the sides of buildings and cars and so forth. For nighttime, um, there's two circuits, and these are all on dimmers. Um, there are some blue bulbs that are overhead. Mm-hmm. So in the town areas, anyway... Um, just regular recessed can lights up in the ceiling, but they're um, over the towns. And so when they turn on, they light up the roof of buildings, but they don't light up that front face. So the front face remains in shadow mm-hmm. and the, the lights almost a top or a backlight. Um, and then the piece that I added most recently, I got a bunch of, um, you know, they're, they're called par 20s. They're little tiny, theatrical can lights basically um and you can put gels in them um you can get color changing ones now but that's out of my budget so um these are basically just little um spotlights um with blue or lavender gels in them and that it provides some angled light um especially into like the mountain areas where there are no towns and so there is no other overhead light so it's just it just softens the shadows a little bit in right. those areas. So, and all that stuff is all in dimmers. Okay. So, what I wanted to get into with that is, do you are you able to go to like an intermediate uh, color when you're when you're fading those lights in and out? I really wanted to. Um, you know what I mean? Almost more, like a sunset, it, gradually into the dark setting. I really wanted to do that. So the the fluorescents are just on or off. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, I could replace all those with, and now probably dimmable LEDs, but that also isn't in the budget right now. So um, so I can't fade that. So I tried turning off the fluorescents and leaving all those other lights at full brightness. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it just doesn't, I don't have enough lights to get the right color mix I got doing you. that. I get um, it, and I mean, yeah. and, and and you know, it's something. It, it would be something uh, cool, but obviously not necessary. Um, but uh, I was thinking right. it'd be cool if you were able to time it almost where you could like um, have an app where you had a slow drawdown in the lighting, and it, and it would roll in. But uh, obviously, you probably thought of that as well. It sounds like you've pondered that. I have. I I think, and again, I've done this on stage dozens of times right um with today's technology probably if you had theatrical spotlights they're all led now and they're all color changing um but the decent ones started about 400 bucks per fixture and they go up from there to get decent quality but if you had those then you could have the lights themselves slowly color change and dim you know from a daylight look to a nighttime look right but to do that in my basement with the you know the low ceiling <laughs> yeah. height, it's just way out of my budget. So. Yeah, no, I get it. We we're, and we're still stuck with just fluorescence, so uh, we're 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 in the same kind of boat. Um, 
we don't have any we're it's not in the budget right now to upgrade our lighting and we were just we're going to be using fluorescence for a, a long while yet yeah i mean but you know i love this blue look on i'm looking at one now i like it because with, it's uh, it's not tracks i like it because it's not dark enough to and it looks like night be black. it looks like night right. the blue light makes it look like a you know if you're if you have light at nighttime outside and you're out walking doesn't it look blue it looks a little blue mm-hmm. everywhere around me. I, I, to me, it does. When I'm walking outside, we have some lights down the street on the street light. And it, it, right directly under the light, obviously, it's brighter and white and, you know, more yellowish or white. Okay. But when you get a little further out from it on the road or if you uh, or, you know, in a parking lot or something like that, a further away, you know, that light is a blue haze. And I love the way that looks. And, you know, you see a movie and you see lighting at night. It, it's not bright and white. It looks light. I mean, if they're trying to give a moonlight look right, to right. the surroundings, they're not d- doing it with a bright light. He's captured it. Yeah, you're not, you're not trying to do a new moon here. No. No, exactly. No. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, it looks like it looks very, very natural, Steve. Well, that's that's good. That's what I'm going for. You know, back in the theater world, there are no end of arguments of how to do mood light. <laughs> I'm sure mood light is mood light is actually it's it's reflected sunlight off the moon, so it's actually um, a very cold white. Um, but your eye regards it as blue in the way that shadows are filling. So, um, I'm, I'm sure it's no different than uh, model railroading or any other hobby where. Uh, everyone's got their own opinion on it too. Oh my goodness! Long <laughs> debate about that. Well, here's um, a prime example. He's got another. He's he has another light here. Um, it's lighting up. It looks like the is that the inside? It looks like a warehouse dock. Yeah. Uh-huh. It has a warehouse dock, and you can see the inside of the lighting of the warehouse. Okay. Um, and it, it's it's yellow, whitish. You know, it's got that white, bright look, and you can d- see the coloring of the boxes and such that are sitting on the dock and the deck and inside, or, or and, and inside the you know the bay door. Okay, right. Um, but then around it again is that blue lighting, and uh, so it doesn't it doesn't overpower the 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 regular lighting doesn't overpower that blue overhead cast look. It's very, it's very convincing, is what I'm saying. It's two different. It looks like, well, it is two different light sources, but it looks like, um, it, it looks very natural to me. It does. It makes the blue light look natural, and the white light look, you know, like manufactured lighting, like we would have today or anytime. Yeah. You know? so yeah. What- I, what what I've actually created when I get the lighting right, even on the layout, is you know some sort of a warm light. You know, nineteen fifties would have been a you know warm incandescent light bulb, obviously. So a warm light inside, um, the moonlight. Actually, the, the direct moonlight in the couple areas on the layout where I have it is actually a lavender. Okay. Um, so it it reads a little warmer, and then that blue floodlight that lights up. The you know fills the shadows is mm-hmm. a cold blue, and so everything with lighting is all contrast. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. lavender you can make look cold or look warm depending on what you put it next to. Um, you know, so by having that warm interior light, the lavender right. looks like cold moonlight. Right. Um, 
you know, and and again, it it it's it's all angles too, because you want shadows, you know. So yeah. that that blue light kind of comes from behind, but doesn't light the front surfaces. If I have a lavender light kind of cutting through from a spotlight, you know, that fills in maybe maybe one side wall and one front wall, and then you've got that interior light kind of spilling out. That's what I'm going for. Right. Amazing. Nice. Looks really, really sweet. I love it. So now, uh, outside of the lighting, let's get off of the lighting subject, and let's get to what I was really <laughs> wanting to talk about a lot tonight um, with with the depot uh, advanced junction, um, and I love that. I love it because it's we've seen where you have where where there's a non-operate people with all many people have modeled non-operating passenger cars sitting along the side of a track or whatever. Okay. But they always look like they're beat up and run down and worn out, you know, or destroyed and they're not functional or, or they've been turned into a diner. Okay. But you didn't do that here. And, and, and what you've done now in a sense is this with this, this is a prototype. So it's not really trying to look like it's, like it's run down. It's not trying to look like it's, um, you know, all, all beat up or a diner. It is an actual building that you've, that's a, that's a station. And, uh, it uses that rail car. And it's just very eye catching. It's not just the rail car. It's the whole structure. Cause it's, it's long and thin, uh, and very oblong and thin in, in all of it, except for the main part of the building mm-hmm. from what I'm seeing. And, um, it's, it's just got some really unique woodworking and a uh, paint, um, coloring uh, color scheme that I, that I love that, that there's there's a lot of different roof line and 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 some unusual jut out stuff on this it's built on a bank right along the side of a of a of a railroad if, track for anyone that's interested in uh checking this out this is also on his rgsrrblogspot.com yes uh, it's Vance Junction right right, right. and it's it's based off a prototype but I love it because it just it's it's so so unique. Whether you're looking at it from the front side or from the back side, which is also very unique. Mm-hmm. So so what brought where's Vance Junction at? Let's if it's a prototype. Where are we what are we talking about? It is so, so a real a real quick history. So I'm I'm modeling a version of the Rio Grand Southern, which is mm-hmm. a really famous narrow gauge um, that was torn up in the early 50s. Um, it ran from um, from Durango, Colorado, north to a town called Ridgeway. Um, and Vance Junction was actually an actual junction point, um, not far from Telluride. In fact, there's nice. a in in Telluride there's a bike trail now called um, boy, is it the Keystone Trail? Um, Anyway, I, Van- I do not know. I have not been out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, basically uh, Vance Junction. There was a, a line that came off of, of the RGS's main line. Um, at that point, went down into a valley, did a U-turn, and then did a very steep climb up uh, Keystone Hill, um, which is where the bike trail is now. And then it turned and it went straight into Telluride. So it's really close to Telluride. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was an iconic spot on the railroad. Um, and uh, originally, it was a station. Um, and the, at one point, the railroad um, had an old coach that was retired. And so they moved it there and they used that um, uh, for passengers that were, were switching from trains on the main line to trains going into Telluride. Um, that traffic mostly disappeared. It became freight only, I don't know, probably in the 30s. Um, and then that site just slowly deteriorated. It was still used by the railroad men, but it wasn't used by passengers who would either take a train directly into Telluride or in later years they actually took a truck, even though the railroad still went there for um, mining freight. Mm-hmm. Um, but just a really iconic location, photographed up, down, and sideways. It's all over the web if you do a little hunting for it. Right. Um, and it's just, it's a great look, as you said, Todd. It's, you know, it's it's got a, uh, in the standard architecture style that the RGS used, it's got this, actually a section house. And then it's got this old coach. And then on the other side, there were a bunch of old, um, uh, slowly rotting narrow gauge box cars and and uh, a baggage car and some other stuff that were used to house tools and house um, you know bunk houses for the section men that lived there. Right. Um, I actually had uh, working on the the website that I have. Um, I actually had uh, emails with some of the descendants of people who actually lived in the building and worked in oh, it. Wow. And that was cool. Um, but yeah, just modeling it. It's just. It's a great look. So I picked a look. My railroad is all freelance history. It's the prototype, but it mm-hmm. lasted a little longer. So I, I kind of invent history with it. Um, so in my <laughs> that's, world, that's yeah, it's cool it, to have that license to do that. I mean, it's right. your layout, and 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 it's truly well done. Now, the, when what when did Vance Junction come into existence, or when did it leave? When did they stop using it? How, what's the history on that part of it? So the the railroad in that section was built in 1892, mm-hmm. um, uh, 1891 to 92. It was built over a couple years. Um, I don't remember when the section house itself was built. Um, probably in the early 1900s. Okay. Um, yeah, you that, have some photos of it of some of it here. Yeah. There. Yes. Yeah. Um, most of the time where it was photographed. Um, you know, our, was in the 30s and 40s. So, okay. if, if you go out and look, that's that's most of the time, right? Um, right. The, the photos I have here are the coach itself. It looks like there's snow all around it, but you have um, it's all you know, it's all in need of, badly in need of repair. It doesn't look but, anything um, like uh, <laughs> the the model you've made, <laughs> but well, but it I does see in a way. no 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 no. It's I didn't mean it that way. True. I didn't mean it that yeah. way. The the current condition of it in the photos right. is okay. not representative of what Stephen modeled is what I meant. Right. And he doesn't <laughs> want to do it that way. Right. Because you, know, you want it to look like it's newer and it's, you know, in operation. Right. right. But yeah, it's very disheveled in current state. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, the history now is uh, all that stuff was torn down that the remains of that coach was saved. It was used as a house for a while. It was moved to a museum. And just a couple years ago, it was finally dismantled because it, it had just collapsed. People had been uh, building campfires inside it. And all yeah, kind of I was going to say, it looks kind of charred in a couple spots, too. So Yeah, it, it, 
It was. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, it doesn't exist anymore. But um, when the railroad used it, you know, originally it was a coach. It was a passenger mm-hmm. car, so it had windows. When they first were using it for a depot, they actually covered all the windows or almost all the windows. Um, and then later on, um, they stopped using it for active passengers and mail. And then those boards started falling off. So then you started seeing the original windows. Hmm. And then the railroad got abandoned. And then, of course, it really fell apart. But um, a whole bunch of different looks, depending on what year you feel like picking. <laughs> I just I just think it's, you know, we're structure guys. So we just think that looks absolutely really cool. Even your little outbuildings, you know, your trackside shed uh, with the rails coming out of it. And then you have, uh, you know, even, even the owl house, you have a... You have a jut out coming off the back end of the boxcar section. It goes downhill with a set of stairs next to it. But you have different colored boards, and I love how you did that. You you've taken, um, you know, put different types of boards on, like they've been replaced with uh, different boards that weren't meant for that building. Uh, it looks really cool. You did yeah. a great job on, it. And I, I, you know, I love it. I love your scenery work too. You always do a great job on that. Yeah, thanks. That's all um, Bantam Model Works, by the way, builds um, all of those kits. Nice. Oh, okay. So. Okay. Oh. I thought you did that at Scratch. No, no, no though, that was on uh, Scratch. I added things to it. Oh, um, okay. He Scratch you know, Bash. It's called a Scratch Bash. Or no, a Kit Bash. I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> um, I, think it's, I think it's super cool. I love the idea, Brett. Now I don't want to I don't want to put the exact same thing in, but I, here's what's cool about this structure: the the, the main house. What do you would you call that main building? The big it's building, a the section larger house. Bu- section, section house. house. Yep. Okay, your section house is is one thing. It's going to take some more space, but you know we have those sections of track uh, that that go through some narrow sections of yeah, and we're not um, quite sure what to do. With there's them. not a lot of room there, and we could do something similar to this, but um, that would that would take up some of the, you know, cause they're only narrow, long, thin, narrow areas. Yeah. And this is an ideal way to do that. You know? No, yeah, I, definitely. I, I like it. Um, yeah. yeah. It, and, it fits in sections, by the way, just for a little railroad history for you guys. So sections please. were, were, I don't know, maybe five or 10 miles of railroad that were assigned, called the section and were assigned to a crew that actually lived at the section. Okay, and they maintained the track and maintained it. So, in this case, what did their wives think of that? Did they not? Like, <laughs> they live. They did live. They live there too. Wow. So usually, wow. like Advanced Junction, that big house was the section house. So the upstairs actually had the the section foreman and his family living there. Oh my god, and, my wife would divorce me. <laughs> and, and I reflected <laughs> that because you know there's curtains and stuff up in the second floor. Um, the bottom floor. You know, would have been an office as trains come through to to sign in and out, and then the laborers um, would stay in bunk houses. So those are usually rundown cabins, or in this case, old box cars, right? Um, that would just be bunks. And so, any place on a railroad, anywhere up to probably about 1940, mm-hmm. you'd have these section houses and bunk houses every few miles. And the, and guys the, railroad, of course, the bunk all kinds of stuff to do that. So, and and what you've modeled, Stephen, is really cool because you have the whole scene. You have the entire working scene there. You have the outhouse. You have the rail cars that are converted into bunk houses. You have the section house. Um, 
you know, it's it's very neat because you you're 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 creating you're creating but you're scene. but it's not just a scene. You're creating the whole working scene of how the right. basically the hierarchy of workers and wives and everyone involved in the entire process would have um you know lived on the on on site and i feel like that makes it more believable i feel like a lot of times model railroads get it wrong because we do what looks cool or what you know a Mm -hmm. kit manufacturer puts out but if you look at the real world you think well they had to have a path to get there they had to have an outhouse somewhere they had to have something on the window sure and you start thinking like this right um and I, I feel like it gives it a, a a certain intangible that you look at and you're like, oh, that looks right. Right. And my question is, the bunkhouses, the guys that lived in the bunkhouses, <laughs> where did they have, where did they eat? They would eat in the section house. In the, in the section yeah, house. I was going to say okay. that, that was probably so the, the wives the cooked all the meals for everybody. I I don't know how that works. It's like a ranch. It's I'm going to guess. Know, here's what it reminds me. It of. looks like it, it reminds me of an old west style ranch with cattle ranches and <laughs> yeah, because it would have been run the same way. You would think it would be. I mean, it's it's got to. They have to have their own yeah their in, infrastructure to run railroad. I mean, it's it's not just a, a guy in a train running a train. I mean, there's other people that work it, and so he's showing you. The, the working side of the railroad and just like you would have the working side of a cattle ranch or the working side of um, any industry know. like that. Right. Any industry back in, back in those days. Um, yeah. That's what you did. And I'm and guessing you were, the, you had, to, had to do that. And I'm guessing the central, you know, hub of activity was the, was the section house, the main, the main structure like, yeah. you, like you have there. You know, that's, yeah. where, that's where the men are eating and, and they're coming back in and they're, they're, you said there's an office, usually an office downstairs. So that's where they're conducting all their, you know, the business, the business side of it is coming in or the industry side's coming in and out of that part. Um, and like the, right, me, the, they're, they're, they're recording train orders for train movements. Again, this was a junction. So they had to using telegraph, they had to figure out who had permission to be on the line and right. they had to record you know, when trains had come through. And, you know, so there was a bunch of office work um, that happened, you know, when it was active. Nice. Um, I have, I do have a, my favorite part of your, in that little build, and you're going to, you might laugh at this, please. Actually, you know what? Please laugh at it. Is the, uh, I love the, the little outhouse. I don't know. I, 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 of all the things, I mean, you did a great job on everything else, but that little outhouse is just so much character. I don't know. It, adds, it, 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 it does, adds, and I've got I've got a little seat <laughs> in there. <laughs> I just like it. Sit next to the seat. Yeah, that's that was fun. The, I mean, awesome. not, I'm not trying to take away from the rest of it because you did a great job of weathering them. You did a good job of weathering the um, the speeder shed. Uh, you know, with the with the exposed underside of where the tar roofing is, is exposed uh, or is worn away and the under roofing's exposed and a bunch of stuff like that. So I'm not yeah. trying to take away from anything else you've done because it's, it's fantastic work. And like well, the, the scenery is great too. The scenery on the side of the hill is awesome. And, and then like it's, the, yeah, it's, the, it's, it's like rolling hills. So the, it's, it's not even rolling hills, like obvious rolling hills. Right. There's just, there's little pockets and stuff. But I, I love, I love how it's designed. Even, even the, the little structure and I wouldn't, I don't know what you would call this structure, but off of one of the um, small bunkhouse structures, there's a little 
like a, a side addition with a stair a staircase beside it. Um, yeah. The the board by board different stains you have on that is just you know a detail yeah. that often a lot of model lords overlook by mm-hmm. staining board by each board a little bit differently. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I learned that from. Um, shoot, I don't remember his name. He was a gentleman that. Um, Lived in Alaska and had a bunch of scenery DVDs out way back. But one, and it was a real simple thing. He he takes three mixes of India ink and alcohol. You know, does one dark dark black, light black, and um, a medium brown. And when he stains his lumber, he'll take a bunch of lumber in each of the three, and then he'll take say the brown out and stick that in the black. And stick mm-hmm. some of the black out and stick it in the gray. And, and when you do that, you end up with, you know, I don't know, six to eight different flavors of stain. And then he mixes all the boards up, and then that's his stock to use. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah really oh, simple. No. Oh, man. We got, ah, oh, Steve, I'm so sorry, <laughs> man. What are you laughing at? What are you laughing at? We, we have to restart. I'm not laughing at all, man. We have to restart this entire podcast why it didn't record oh don't don't do that to him <laughs> i'm sorry <I laughs> don't do that to we him to on this show because we did this now let me take the readers back uh, the listeners back here that we was first i'm gonna just show. say i'm just gonna <laughs> say that was the meanest thing you could have ever said to anyone on, of the, on this call. Know, but I've been waiting. We got deep into this, and then what, then I was gonna do that to Steven. And get, uh, you, you hurt know, me too. Messing with you. Oh yeah, more to Brad. He's doing all the. All the <laughs> that hurt work. me. Man, that's just, let me take everybody back. The first time we had Steve <laughs> as our first guest, we spent the whole evening. We recorded it. It turned out awesome. And then the, that after we were done and we said our goodbyes and hung up, of course, Brett, in a panic, calls me and goes, "Oh my gosh, Dad!" He said, "I had to." I had to. We had to redo this entire thing. It didn't record. I said, "What part of it?" He said, "No, none of it recording." <laughs> so we had to call Steve back and have him on the next night, which he was gracious enough to do. And we recorded the whole episode again, talking about the same things, trying to make we it had sound to fake as natural it. as possible. Yeah, we had to and, fake uh, it like I, it was I, the I, first time we talked about it. And I will say, um, <laughs> and if I didn't cover this in the beginning of the first of the, the beginning of this episode, Stephen was our first guest. So um, we've our since first had, ever guessed. It was all we new. Were, and we were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but but I will say, you know, you you uh, you trusted us with your time a second time around, and uh, we got it right. But uh, nothing made me feel smaller than the day that I had to tell you that we had to re-record. <laughs> and I didn't even know my dad was going to do this because I didn't look at – I saw just now he texted me and said, I'm going to pull a trick here. And uh, watch, I'm going to mess with Steve and he, right now. And he, and he broke he, – you broke my heart a little bit on the inside just now. So uh, anyway. All right. Sorry. I couldn't help it. So let's Sorry, get back Steve, to what – Skype PTSD. <laughs> I was getting – yeah, I was not ha- – I was about to just lose my mind just now. Um, nope. So let's get back into talking about this. This is a great build, and I want everyone, I want all of our listeners to, to go on to his site. We've said it before. I'll say it one more time on here rgsrr.blogspot.com. There's a link in the show description um, for his uh, blog, and I'll put the link to the actual Rio Grande Southern Railroad site you have, which is rgsrr.com, um, which is more of the history side. Right. You can right. sign up. You can sign up for his uh, Your newsletter. emails and stuff too. Yeah, yeah his newsletter. 
And well, I get I, it all the time. It's great. I don't. I don't have an actual newsletter. No, I do updates sometimes. Yeah, has, I get an email with your uh, well, an email update with a, your stuff. You maybe a, well, well, no. Well, I know what he, with 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 Blogspot you can do an RSS, which is what I have. Uh, okay, right. Yeah, you'll get the you'll get the updates. Yeah, you can. That's you, it. You that's can it. if you use Blogspot and you know how to set up an RSS feed or or subscribe to one, you can get his okay, updates. That must be why I'm getting it. Um, man. Yep. Yeah. And I've got a I've got a page on Facebook too called Steve's Real Grand Southern. Yes, mm-hmm. um, and they all they all point to each other. So now I I was just scrolling through here and I found an, an a second outhouse not very far down that I also uh, a couple of them actually you've you've done a, a bunch of outhouses. There's a even There's a on, whole bunch even on your recent <laughs> posts and uh, they're all different. Like, you're like uh, you're like um, Dad. Jeff, uh, what? We're gonna just restart. We're just gonna build just outhouses on our layout because I'm liking Steve's. <laughs> he's got a sheet metal one. It's like a silver. You're like yeah. He's like Jeff Grove with mills, but he yeah. just does outhouses. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know the the fun part is, <laughs> you know, at least on this railroad, there's a lot of that just in the prototype. So yeah. I, the prototype had so much character to it. Um. Well, you know, I, I have to improvise sometimes, but a lot of times I can just copy. So. What's fun about an outhouse is you can have so much character. It, it's such a small structure that can tell so much of a story. Like you have the door open, and there's a paper on the one I'm looking at, a little red one you made. Um, yeah. It's got looks yeah. like it has a paper inside of it on the bench. Uh, it's newspaper. you got to have something to read, yeah. right? Yeah. So you can <laughs> – it's such a small structure that you can tell so much story with, like – well, of course you got to have a newspaper in the outhouse. Like, what are, what are you going to do when you're in there? You know, um, and I and I enjoy that just because it's something that's so simple. And I don't know if these ones were kits or ones that you built from scratch, but even if it was from scratch, it wouldn't be hard to make a, an outhouse out of some scrap material. No, it's not. Most of these are kits. Okay. Um, I think the ones you're looking at again, I think, are all Bantam Model Works. Again, they and they do some really, really nice little kits too. So they do, they do. They have a set of five outhouses, and then they have a second set of six. So they have they have a whole variety. Nice. <laughs> so Jeff, it's uh, you're not you're not the only one that needs professional help when it comes to a certain particular type of building. No, apparently Bain and Model Works does too. <laughs> <laughs> they just like their outhouses. Yeah. No, but but it, but honestly, with, with the time era that that. Um, Steve's modeling, um, you'd have outhouses. And everybody's got their their thing, too, because, I mean, that's a cool thing that people would overlook, especially certain certain times in certain eras. Right, and Uh, and like I'm saying, you know, we've got a lot of listeners that do pre, you know, pre-20th century. Pre-19th century, you mean. 19th. 20th. 20th would, yeah. My bad. Yeah, 1920. Okay, and I'm the history guy. You good now? <laughs> so pre twentieth uh, century, which would be the pre nineteen hundreds, even early nineteen hundreds, up until you know the teens era, you would have a you would need you would have a need for a lot of outhouses. So it makes sense. There were outhouses in the forties and fifties. There yeah. may be outhouses now. Hey, I'll tell you what, my my wife's um, family has a cabin up in northern PA, and uh, when we go up there. We still got to use an outhouse, so uh, it's it's still pretty prevalent in certain areas. But anyways, back to Steve's work here. Um, yeah. uh, you know, you've 
you've done quite a bit since we've had you on the show last. And uh, I wanted to kind of ask you what your current focus is from the last time you were on until now. So what, what's your big projects you got going on now with your layout? So the, the big project for the summer is trees, which I've been intimidated by for ages. And I, I finally had some friends and some friends' layouts and people showing me things. So I, I, I went out and I bought some, um, some conifer trees and experimented with those and then um, ended up doing some super trees. So all of this is work. Trees take a lot of room, especially the super trees. Right. Um, you, you need to straighten them and do some other stuff. So I'm I'm hitting those pretty hard in the summer because um, I can I can work kind of outside or I can work with the garage open. Um, you know, doing the spray glue and you know all the other parts of super trees. Mm-hmm. Um, structure building I tend to do more in the winter because I can do that inside. Um, so right now at at this particular moment between all the crazy life stuff going on. Um, it, it's just been all about the trees. And I just today spent all day adding the rest of my current batch of super trees to the layout. And I, I've never done trees before, so I'm experimenting. But um, it's been really fun playing with you know perspective and sizes and um, even just physically putting them on the layout. I still have to clean the track. Um Mm-hmm. Like I said, we do op sessions, which means people are running trains and they're uncoupling cars and they're reaching in. So I have to think about how people are accessing the different areas and I can't block those with trees. You know, So um, you know, adding all those variables together and then I'm doing a bunch of, um, which I did with the scenic forms and doing it even more with the trees now of, of doing view blocks mm-hmm. so that your eye gets drawn around things and behind things. So there's trees in front of the track in some areas so that, you know, the trains disappear behind them at points. Right. Um, Again, not too much because I still have to find a way to access it for maintenance. But um, uh, that's, that's really what I've been focusing on. And along with that, a lot of stuff about color palettes, you Mm -hmm. know, it, um, when I did the static grass some time ago, um, you know, I used probably a dozen colors of static grass because nothing in nature is uniform. Um, with the trees, you know, a given tree is going to be a uniform color of leaf for the most part. Right. But a variety of trees are all going to be slightly different shades. And so I'm trying to play with those color palettes. Mm-hmm. And then I'm trying to think about, well, maybe this area was further north, so maybe there's more pine and conifer and stuff over there and maybe this area was at a lower elevation in the mountains so maybe there's more deciduous trees and um sure. again looking looking a lot at the prototype this the Rio Grande Southern um has a huge amount of books and photos out there and so I spend a lot of time looking at the books and thinking all right, Colorado, it's all pine trees, right? Well, actually, it's not. And, you know, when you really look at it, it's like, oh, this was all aspens. Well, no, it was a mixed forest. So I'm trying to look at not what people have done with trees on layouts. I'm trying to look at what the real thing looked like and then trying to emulate that sense of it. Now, um, now you said earlier, you said you were working with some super trees. 
how do you like working with this? We we have a box, a big box of them things we bought. We have we've done a few. We and gotta, we need we to gotta get do on some them. more. Yeah, I'd love to do them. I, I had fun doing them, and then we then we stopped that one day, and we haven't made any more. How do you enjoy working with this? I I really like them. I've I, it took me a couple months to get onto it. You know, I I got a small box and I experimented with them, and I got some different kinds of. Um, the British call it scatter material, but um, leaves or fine ground foam and right. you know colors. And so I, I had to experiment and try a whole bunch of different things. And I finally have a process now that I really like. Um, and so then I bought a really big box, and then I just sort of dump into kind of an assembly line mode. Nice. Um, I can tell you what the process is if you're interested. Yeah, yeah definitely. Go for it. Because we're gonna we're gonna have a, a tree building session down there one of these nights. So um, I won't go through all the different things I tried, but what I've landed on. Um, so you get a box of super trees. It's a type of Norwegian. I think it's Norwegian sagebrush, um, and it's all tangled together. So you get the box and you pull the pieces out and kind of divide them up. Um, into you know roughly tree sized pieces and you kind of pull it apart and um, you can kind of break it. Most of them are bent; they're curved. Mm-hmm. And I didn't so, notice that. So the best way I figured to straighten them is to get a get a hot plate, go outside with a teapot, jam the lid open, and make steam coming out of the little nozzle, and then run each super tree through that. Um, stream of steam coming out and stretch uh-huh. it um, and that will usually straighten it so I go through all of that and straighten you know a whole pile of, of branches um, and they just take you know probably 15 seconds to cool um, and oh, they'll okay. stay straight so that that's pretty simple Oh, um, from there um, I mix up a really weak um, mix of water with just a little bit of white Elmer's glue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I run all the trees through that. I just dunk them in there again, 15, 30 seconds, um, and string some, just some string of clothespins, and then hang them up to dry um, and let that go overnight. So now they've been straightened. That glue mix will make them a little stronger because they're delicate. Right. Yes, um, they are. Um. So now with the glue, now they're a little stronger. Um, Then uh, I took a bunch of boards and just drilled a gazillion holes in it of different sizes so I could stand them up in big groups. Uh Um, And then I take them outside and I just spray paint them. And I hit them with, depending on what kind of tree, the aspens, I tend to make a very light gray or a light tan Mm -hmm. um, to the the super tree branches. Other ones I'll do... um, you know, darker browns, um, usually the the camouflage colors. So there's sort of a um, a really dark muddy green. There's a couple right. of nice dark browns, and then a couple um, uh, grays. And so I do a whole variety of that. And each tree has probably got at least three different colors on it. I kind of you know hit them from the sides and highlight them. Um, and then I've landed on off of some YouTube guy who had a, a, a great plan. Um, uh, uh, gorilla spray glue. Oh, um, I've actually, I've gone through five cans of this so far. <laughs> it's just, 
gorilla spray glue. I don't yeah, think I've My seen dad it. doesn't have a very good history with any of the gorilla products. No, that's not true. I use gorilla <laughs> I use gorilla wood glue all the I'm time. Kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But this I'm not is a, spray. It, it's a bright orange can and I tried hairspray and I tried some other stuff. This is a really strong glue, which is perfect. Hmm? Um so then I, I hold the tree, you know, with one hand. It into a box. I do this in the garage. I get a big box that kind of acts as a, um, a a container, so the glue doesn't go all over. And just spray. I, I pick one color, spray the branch part of it, and then take it back and hold it over a container, and then just sprinkle, you know, whatever super leaf I'm using or whatever fine ground foam. Um, Gorilla I, spray adhesive. Yep. Heavy duty. Yep. Okay. That's the stuff. Great huh. stuff. Hmm. So I just I coat it pretty heavily with that and then sprinkle the leaves and I try and keep the leaves off the trunk. So I sprinkle it on the branches and then stick it back in those wood things to dry. So that's that's, that's cool. the process. Nice. Okay. And well, we're gonna definitely try that. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get some of that gorilla spray. I like grill. the idea of the glue of uh, the white glue mixture that he dips everything into for thirty seconds and it hangs them out to dry. Because they are so brittle, and when you st- if you work with them without doing that, the super trees tend to break all the time in little oh, places, yeah. and you end up you, you end up going, oh, you start out with like a what you think is the right size tree, and next thing you know, you've got three trees <laughs> because they broke apart, they fell apart, you know. You end up with uh, a bunch of shrubs. Right, right, exactly, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna do that. Yeah, the glue doesn't make them strong. It makes them slightly less weak. <laughs> yeah, still, yeah, exactly. Still delicate. Yeah, true, absolutely. And I, and I understand that. There's not much to those stems. Um, but it, it, they they just definitely look good. The ones we made look good. We bought some Scenic Express leaves in all different shades. And uh, we worked with those as well uh, to, to stick them to the branches and such. And, and uh, they, turned out, they turned out fantastic. You know, fantabulous when we had um, when we had them done, but we only did a few just to try it because when we were doing it, Brett, if you remember that day, it was an Oklahoma Sooner football game. We were not paying half-time. attention. It was halftime. We went down, just toyed with a couple, and we were rushing, yeah. and we were excited, right. and yeah, yeah. <laughs> was, so. was that the game where the um, the covered wagon turned over? No, Probably. not that one. <laughs> it was a different. No. It was a different game, but yeah, that one was a classic, that's for sure. That's not the first time that's ever happened. It's happened several times in their history. <laughs> but uh, that was definitely, uh, that was a doozy. <laughs> Man, so I, and, and for leaf sight, I've got, I don't know, six or seven different colors of the super leaves. Um, I tried, a, again, leaves. still trying, try, yeah, um, Scenic Express super leaf. Right. Comes right. in a rainbow of colors, and there's some other ones, Knock and Hecky. There's a bunch of them, but um, so trying a whole bunch of different colors with that um, for conifers. So with the conifers, I actually bought you know kind of the Christmas tree looking trees from different manufacturers, and there's right. there's a whole bunch out there. Some of them get really expensive. Um, I found some that you could get that were unflocked that are a hmm. lot cheaper. Um, and then, you know, back to the spray glue and um, just, you know, fine ground foam, dark dark green ground foam. Um, 
And it, it's a bit of work to do that in all those little pine trees, but um, oh, I'm it's sure. A little, <laughs> a <little> more economic. <laughs> um, but uh, and then I thought, well, I wonder if I could try putting the ground foam on the super trees. And so I tried heavy ground foam and fine ground foam and different colors. And actually, that all works. What, you know? would, you, oh, okay. what, what would you it's, say your 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 best result was with which type of ground foam? Um. So a a. There's a lot of different kind of conifers out there. The conifers oh, that yeah. have fine branches where you don't really see the needles. Um, the two looks that I've gotten best was um, a really dark green fine ground foam. Um, conifer green or forest green, I think, were the two colors I was using. Oh, and sage green. Um, mm-hmm. All three of those worked for that type of pine tree. You know, it's kind of a dark tree. It's not an exact model. I think it looks okay in a forest. Um, the other thing I tried was four millimeter static grass. And again, just spray the super tree and take the static grass and just sprinkle it over it. Um, oh. and, and that gave a different kind of a look that gave more of a cedar look where, where there's sort of soft needles. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'd like to find in the four millimeter size, I couldn't find any dark green. So I just got kind of a medium green looks right. okay. Um, so a, again, I, I just, you know, I, I sprinkle all kinds of things on it and just sort of see, <laughs> see what works. And some of this stuff doesn't look good for a tree, but it looks good for a bush. Right. And mm. I, you know, before we move on from the trees here, I'm going to actually dig into one of our patron questions. Cause it's, it's very fitting for what you're talking about right now. Um, uh, Matthew Hankins has, was asking, to hear more about your methodologies and lessons learned relating to your tree building, uh, both conifers and deciduous. So were there any things you took away from your recent, you know, dive into tree building that you would say, Hey, maybe we shouldn't do this again, or maybe, uh, this is a really good idea and I want to continue to, to build upon that skill. I think everything I just described, I liked, I think that's probably as far as I can go with the super trees. Um, (laughs) there's, And there's some really good books out. Um, Gordon Gordon Gavitt, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in England. He's got a set of uh, um, two books just on building trees. And he takes the trees and builds them like you would a structure. Okay. So, oh, you know, with wire forms and drilling little holes and putting tiny branches in. And oh, so you- my gosh. You can do that with super trees, and then you can model specific trees. So if you want an oak or you want a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a cedar or, um, you know, whatever kinds of trees. Um, I'm not going that far because I don't have the time to do that. But uh, I've seen some gorgeous trees by g- uh, several people that make them just like you're saying. And you're sitting there. I think even Luke Towen made one like that mm-hmm. on one of his videos. And and you're looking at it and you're like, oh, my gosh, really? <laughs> um, wow. It's amazing. Um, but it's yeah. 10 or 15 hours per tree. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. You're not, making, know, an entire, you're not making an entire forest like that. Right. Right. No. no. So, um, so, you know, the super trees – as I do with a lot of the layout at this point, I like to get an overall look. You know, I did that with the scenic, and I did that with static grass. I'm doing with the trees. It's not super detail on any one particular thing. I can go back and add that later. I'm just trying to get an overall look at you know some reasonable amount of effort. And I can always go back and add super detailed trees, for example. Sure. Um, 
the conifers are more difficult. So, um, you know, I've got super trees with dark ground foam, and they look sort of like some kind of a generic pine tree, maybe from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got the Christmas tree looking things in various sizes that you can just buy from various manufacturers. And they look okay. It was better when um, I got the um, the unflocked ones mm-hmm. and then spray painted the branches to a light gray or a light brown. That helped. Um, and then flocked them kind of lightly so you get some of the branch structure showing through. Mm-hmm. Um, that's quick and easy. But to really do a good pine tree... Um, you know, you would have to model the trunk and you'd have to have, you know, some other kind of a, um, a branch structure on it. Um, probably the simplest way, and I haven't tried this yet, um, is the, I don't know if you're, I'm sure some of your listeners have heard this, but you take a couple pieces of, um, either wire or, um, um, florist wire works easily. And then you get a bunch of hemp rope, and you take a wire, put one wire down, put some spray glue on it, spread a bunch of cut pieces of glue over it, put another piece of wire on top of that, and then twist the wires, and that spins the rope pieces. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and you Like you a get, bottle brush type of thing. That's a bottle brush, right. Um, okay. And then, and then trim the rope, and then you go you know, painting and spraying and gluing. Oh, um, yeah. I've seen uh, how Reynolds has done some bottle brush. Uh, so he used to have a he used to have a machine that made the bottle brush style style trees out of that, and he used to sell that machine. He doesn't. I don't believe he does that anymore. Uh, it was on his Atlantic Scale Modeler mag, uh, website. I'm not sure if he still has that. I don't think so. But yeah. yeah, that was a big thing for Hal Reynolds too. Yep. Yeah, one of my friends was telling me how to do that, and he he said just use the floral wire. Um, do I don't know, maybe six, seven feet, you know, whatever you can handle, mm-hmm. and then just clamp one end in a hand drill or, or you know, a cordless drill and spin it. Um, so I, I might try that. That's probably the next level of conifer tree that I would add at some point. But right, um, they're, and they're really nice looking too. Yeah, bottle bush trees are real nice. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I haven't jumped into that. That that could be a future project, I suppose. Nice. Um, and while we're at it, let's do one more uh, of our Patreon questions. And this one is, I just, well, dang it. I'm good, dude. Let's just roll through the Patreon questions. Well, let me, wait, I only have one more. Uh, oh, okay. This one, but this one's a good one. This one's from Howie Broyles. And uh, Howie doesn't okay. chime in a lot on our Patreon questions, but when he does, uh, it's a really, it's usually a pretty good one. Because he does, um, how he switched to N scale and you know, his perspective on things is a little different because he's working on something that's like half the size of what, you know, we all work on, um, or everyone on this call works on. Um, so how he was looking at your Facebook page, Steven, and he was saying he, um, he found the use of cardboard covered, uh, cardboard covered mountains and was interested in your process for that. He would like to more hear. He would like to hear more about how you work on your mountains and your hillside stuff, and your scenery. Um, and then, then the second part behind how you do your cardboard mountains is the question for any of us, and I'm guessing he means all three of us here on it. Is um, is the cardboard covering and is the cardboard and covering more old school? Uh, he sees mostly. 
uh, people working with foam, uh, you know, where they carve foam out of a hillside or a hillside out of foam, whether they're using a hot knife or a utility knife, um, or is, is cardboard kind of like the old school uh, stepchild of that process? So let's start with the first one. Uh, he wants to hear more about how you do your hillsides and your mountains. Um, so I've got a blog post from, oh, I don't know, it's probably 10 years ago now, uh-huh. um, eight years ago, that describes all of that in detail. But um, it, it's pretty simple. So I, I came across drywall shims. These are something you can get in bulk in you know Menards or Home Depot, and they're used for um, home construction. You know, to to trim out doors or windows or other things, but mm-hmm. basically they're they're a hard cardboard about an inch wide by three foot long, which is perfect. Um, so and and they're not much. You know, a whole box cost me you know maybe fifteen bucks or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I started with, and then just hot glue um, and building up a lattice. The reason I liked working with that is I could do the scenic forms really easily. So I could take a couple of these these cardboard shims um, and just bend it with my hand and get a loose shape of something, and then I would sit there and look at it. So a, a number of the spots on the layout, um, I'm playing a lot with sight lines, I'm playing a lot with view blocks, um, and so I could do all that with these cardboard shims when I was building it. I could stick a couple in with hot glue and think about, all right, if the landscape flowed this way or there's a cut or a fill or a canyon or whatever, um, and I could quickly lay that out. Um, so I liked it because it was really easy to do big scenes. And this railroad is all mountainous. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a lot of vertical surfaces, a lot of steep hills. Um, if I had used styrofoam for that, it would have been a lot of stacking and carving, um, where the cardboard shims with a little bit of wood support let me do, you know, pretty big mountain scenes quickly and and really cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just went and found, um, <laughs> it's your point from a recent podcast, Todd. Um, I did not go to the hobby vendors. I went online and found medical suppliers of um, plaster cloth. For casts, for cast for medical, right? And uh-huh. I got a bunch, bunch of that in bulk. Um, and again, that's really easy, and it wasn't messy at all. You know, it was a, a, right. a, a roller tray for paint that filled with water. Um, take you know one sheet at a time, lay it in there, build it up. So I usually did about three layers. Mm-hmm. Um, that gave me basic scenic forms. Um, on top of that, I used a product called um, Structolite. Um, which is a really lightweight um, home improvement plaster. Again, you know, Menards. Um, it dries really strong um, with a very rough, toothy surface to it. Um, and that was sort of my finish coat. And I could make that, you know, thick and soupy. And just uh, literally, I took a paintbrush and painted it over. Um, oh, wow. Thickened up the shell hmm. and... Um, you know, touched up the surface. Um, rocks are a whole different thing, but on, on the non-rock areas, um, then I just put a, a heavy coat of cheap paint and sprinkled um, uh, sand that I had sifted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, paving sand, I think, was mostly what I used because it's actually decomposed granite. 
um, and just sifted that into the wet paint, and that was the base layer um, on everything. Well, the casting cloth with the plaster casting cloth, you, I imagine I haven't worked with that, but um, I imagine now back in the old day when I first did my very first layout years and years ago when I was in my early twenties, um, I did something similar with the strips of cardboard, and I built my mountain forms out of that, just like you did, like a lattice work, and except that instead of using hot glue gun, I think I used a stable gun, um, but. Um, then I got the nice thing about using that. Now I, I didn't use what you use. I used, I think I made, I, think I made strips of newspaper and made paper mache and just kind of built the, the mountain forms. But I imagine with this claw stuff, you could really get creative on, you know, while it's in, when you drape it over top and put it in place because of the type of material it is, you could probably get pretty creative on reshaping it before it really sets. Right. So, yeah. Right. Right. You uh, can do, you can, you can bend little dips and little, yeah. Um, folds into it. That's um, fascinating. Yep. And again, it was just sheets. It wasn't even rolls. So it's really easy to use. Um, and it was not messy. It was not like creating this whole sloppy mess. Um, you know the plaster does yeah. right sure so that was yeah that was easy now there there are there are some trade-offs so the structure light the other thing that that did and I, I know a lot of it because i was dealing with it today actually um that gave a, a little bit of a thicker shell mm-hmm. um and when you're planting trees you need some kind of structure to hold the tree so if I had only plaster cloth or a really thin thing over it, that wouldn't be enough tooth to hold a tree up. Right. You know, so when I put the structure light on it, it was strong enough I could I could probably punch the thing, it wouldn't go anywhere. You know, so it's probably Is that a lot know, like uh a, a, I'm sorry, go ahead. Like a quarter inch or so of of stuff on top of it. But it it made a really strong shell. Is that a lot like sculpt the molder? No, no, it's not no? at all. It's it's okay. a like I said, it's a building material. It's okay. called Structolite. Structolite. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a it really hard plaster with some sort of a gritty sandy stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, once once I put it on, if I rub my hand over the finished surface, I'll tear my skin. You know. It, oh it's, wow! Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 quite rough. Yeah. Huh. But when I'm putting other scenery materials on it, especially on vertical steep hills, that's great. Right. Sure. And it gives um, it some support too because it dries so hard. So right. Yeah. Wow. Right. It it's been interesting, you know, now that I'm finishing some structures and planting them, um when I did the static grass, I didn't figure out where all the buildings were going. I had some idea, but I just static grassed everything to give the layout a finished look. Mm-hmm. And when I come back to a building, you know, I actually have to chisel um, the grass away. But in some areas, just to get the foundation right, I had to chisel away some of that uh, structolite. And that stuff, would it would dull drills. It would dull tools. Oh, my. You know, I, I tried taking... Uh, <laughs> um, one of the cutting discs on a Dremel tool, 
uh-huh. just to slice through, and it just wore the cutting disc down wow. to nothing. So oh, it's, my word. it's basically rock. Yeah, was, that's some intense <laughs> material there. Yeah, yeah. I, I found the best way to get rid of it was to take a chisel and to hammer a line and then kind of break <laughs> it out. But um, yeah, so it, it's it's really strong, but it, it it gives a great surface. And again, it's cheap. I got like twenty five pounds for ten bucks. Oh my! You know, or fifty pounds or something. So right. Um, so and very yeah, very lightweight. It's lightweight, huh? Super lightweight. Sweet. Um, well, that, that's cool. Is there more to Howie's question, or? Well, yeah, the he kind of just wanted our opinion on also, you know, um, the difference between that and, and carving a hillside or a mountain scene out of uh, foam. So, you know, for foam hills, we can speak on that. They're they're great, but you still have to do something to add to the smoothness or the texture you want to achieve with a foam hill or like a rock face that you're going to put, right. you know, as a base, it has a foam base, but you still need to apply. Um, you, you can only do so much with a foam base. Like we're working with the extruded foam insulation. Um, you still have to shape it the right way and you still have to, it can be, it, be, it can be cut. To yeah. Shape. And, and I still, I've had issues, you know, you can't just do rock face with it. Like Steven was saying, um, right. You know, you still need to add something to it. You need to do. Uh, we we use the sculptor mold. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, not sculptor mold. The uh, uh, dang it, uh, the sheetrock or not sheetrock, right. but drywall mud. Drywall mud. We yeah. use drywall mud, or we use um, the plaster Paris. Although for, I have seen a video that Doug Pascali did on with a waterfront. Foam. You have that yeah. with the foam. He carves his rocks he did. from the foam. He did. But so we're not all like him. We're not God, all God bless that bad, but I, I cannot carve. So. Um, and I tried to do it following his video and uh, I quickly covered it up with some plaster pairs because uh, it was not pretty. And, 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 and if you're doing a large seam like of, of rock face like I, like we're doing along the waterfront, dad, um, yeah. I wouldn't, I don't think I'd want to carve it all out of the foam. If you're doing a small corner or a small scene with some rock, I think right. you could do it with the foam, but the amount of carving I would have had to have done would, would have taken me exponentially oh, I, I longer than the foam Then I'm sorry, than sure. the drywall mud did. Absolutely. But, um, you know, I think there's advantages to both. <laughs> I think you can get away with the cardboard and, and plaster of Paris, um, or I'm sorry, like the cardboard base with a covering like Stephen was talking about. And then you can also do a lot with the foam as well as a base. So, mm-hmm. uh, it just depends what you're going for. It depends what you're comfortable with. Um, but they can both produce, produce some amazing results. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, it, it's not a topic for this podcast. It's a, could probably be a whole podcast in its own, but, um, I do have, quite a few posts uh this is back in 2013 of how i did the rock work and the materials i used um you know the quick answer is bragdon mostly bragdon rock molds Mm -hmm. um and again a building material um something called durobond um into the molds and i broke them up and i you know hot glued them onto um the cardboard structure or onto the plaster cloth depending on the area you know and then um finishing stuff over that um but again not using you know hydrocol you know durabond again 
25 pound bags for a few bucks from the home improvement store. Right. Right. Um, sure. And, you know, for me, we all the about quality that. was fine. Yeah. Because I, I couldn't <laughs> afford the other thing. Right. And Not I for love a layout the, like I'm building. It just wouldn't uh, work. I love the idea of the cloth, uh, the casting cloth that you would use for making casts um, for medical. I never even thought to go that route. And how perfect would that be to work with? Wow. Um, and, you know, you can order that stuff online. You can find medical. There's a lot of stuff that's out there medical-wise that you can, we've talked about before that you can order online and get a lot cheaper uh, than paying top dollar for something specific and getting very little of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that goes with anything, whether you're going to sure. a big box hardware store or you're going yeah. to... Uh, think think about what you're buying first. Yeah. Look at, look at kind of what the hobby companies are putting into their scenery mm-hmm. material or their uh, modeling materials and, and look at what it does and the consistency of it because chances are... If it's a pretty basic thing, uh, there's an alternative for it out there that's sold under a different industry. It's probably cents on the dollar. Right. So, right. And like Stephen right. said, we don't all have a – we're in the same boat. We don't all have the budget for uh, the high-end modeling version <laughs> of it. So if the same thing can be bought at the big box uh, home, uh, home improvement store or a medical store for you know pennies on the dollar compared to a modeling – company uh yeah you know i'm all we're down for that right but but other things like super trees i some of it you can't get away with i found all kinds of branches all around the area here and nothing looks like a super tree so then or 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 the different scenic leaves that different guys have come out with so you know i agree entirely with that yep so yeah there's there's a certain web store that gets a lot of my (laughs) hobby dollars (laughs) <laughs> but there to me that that's worth the money cuz sure. yeah, that that's a quality I can't get anywhere else. Right, you're not going to be able to reproduce that on your own. Right. Sure. But casting plaster, I don't need to do that. <laughs> no. No. So, no. no, that's cool. Now, does Bragdon still make those rock molds? Are they still in business? Um I don't know actually. No, I thought I looked and I didn't know if they were still doing that. Was, I wouldn't mind looking into getting some more of those. Um, from uh-huh. we had some rock molds that we had, and we won't mention the manufacturer, but they they didn't hold up. And uh, but uh, yeah, he's he's still out there. Bragdon Enterprises. Okay, sounds um, cool. So I'll I'll tell you something about his molds because I really love them, and I had a few others I collected from various hobby shops. Um, you know, I had a lot of rock molds, but. Bragdon's are really flexible. They're thin. They're well made. They're flexible, but some of the ones that you can get are big. You know, you can get yeah. molds that are two by three foot. Um, you know, so I can then pour an entire rock wall. And I might use it that big, or I might break it up. Um, right. Um, but when I was doing rock work, I would have a whole long table spread out with you know multiple molds, and I just keep you know, pouring them over and over again. Right. Um, but yeah, I, amazing. I, I mean, I'm in on there now. Uh, he's yeah. got so many and they're so high quality and it, there's just a lot of unique looks. I could never carve. I could never carve rocks anyway, but <laughs> I don't, I don't think anyone could carve the amount of detail for the type of, um, 
rocks that he's cast. So, right. um, and I know his big thing is, um, foam casting. So he's got some other materials and he uses his molds with, um, you know, some sort of a, a foam casting method. Yeah. Geodesic so. foam, he says. Yeah. Yeah. I've never tried that. I, I just use the, the building plaster, but, um, right. It, it worked for me. Yeah. I, I, I can't praise his stuff highly enough. It's really, really high quality. I might have to do a shopping trip. Uh oh. Yeah, they're a little <laughs> spendy. His, his molds are a little spendy, but they're worth yeah. it. I I used them dozens and dozens and dozens of times, and they held up really well. Nice. Oh, yeah. We're gonna have to. We're, I feel like we're gonna be uh, getting some of these here now. As my dad yeah, is, I, my dad is ooing and awing at them. I can tell. I am. Yeah, they're cool. That's yeah, they're what I, cool. I was spend a lot of time here. <laughs> let me tell you, when I was when I was doing the rock work, I would look at this. And I'm like, oh, all right, I can afford three. So I would, <laughs> and I would do a bunch of stuff, and then I'm like, oh, this wall could really use this other kind of get back out there. Like, oh, all right, fine, I'll get one big one. <laughs> Had like a whole year and a half of going back and forth, <laughs> and then and you're trying, you're turning it upside down, and you're and you're making smaller molds and cutting them in pieces to make it vary the pattern. Because, yeah, yep. I, we've done that. Yep, yep, yep. Well, that's really cool. Sweet. So, I, hey, folks, real quick while we got you all on, and we're wrapping things up here shortly, but um, the. Bachman Spectrum 280. Uh, I, I, you know, you guys all know me and my train thing, but I'm looking for a really cool looking train. I think Steve turned me on the one I'm very interested in, and uh, I love the look of. You got to go see it. He, he, hand, he, he painted this thing and weathered it himself, I believe. Right? Yep. It's on his on his RG uh, RG. Uh, RGS, so RGS, yeah, it's on that site. You'll see it. I love it. I love the way it looks. We were talking about it just prior to the show, and um, yeah, just take a peek. But that's the one Todd wants to get, so we're gonna take a look at that. And it's not too, it's big, but it's not too big. Yeah, yeah it's a nice size. It'll, My, it'll work with I think they're still making. They they were out of production for a while. I thought they just did another production run of those, okay. but um, and they're great runners, right? Really, really great runners. Not super expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so. well, I like not. I like not super expensive. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's, there's other stuff out there. It's right. again back to these operating sessions. So I'm operating with all steam, right? Um, so, steam locomotives are a little finicky, and so again, working with some of the the friends in my uh, my local group here, but finding reliable running steam locomotives um, is like a whole thing in itself, and keeping them maintaining. And the Bachman's, Bachman Spectrums hold up really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a couple other makes out there as well. Um, it's very but, detailed looking too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but well, there's there's nothing nothing like running an operating session to make you think that locomotives have really got to run smooth. They've got to <laughs> not derail. They've got to, you know, maintain their DCC connection. They've got to right. be smooth. That's that's it's amazing how eye opening 
um, you find on the mechanical side of stuff. Oh, yeah. Nothing, nothing like having a group of people over and they're like, <laughs> Steve, the engine stalled. <laughs> so so I put a lot of work into avoiding that. Right, right. They're uh, pointing so cool. out all the, uh, the, the issues you thought of your nice, cool locomotive engine and then, uh, you know, it's, it's having, there's nothing worse than having issues with it after you uh, are excited to run it and then uh, it's not working the way you want it to. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, sessions, yeah, I, I, operating sessions, I compare to like a 3D board game. So, you know, if you imagine you're, you're deep into an intense board game and you roll the dice and the dice falls apart, you know, and so then you have to go hunt for another paradise. It's something like that. You just want it reliable <laughs> to do what it is so you can focus on the gameplay aspect of it. So, anyway. Right. Um, and that's something we haven't done. Uh, in fact, we've only had like one, I think one person ever now check out our layout. So, uh, you know, we're, we're not even close to doing something like that at this point as allowing other people we're to run closer. engines. Yeah, but we bit. don't even run our own engines on it yet. We, we, that's true. let alone have other people come down. So, uh, yeah, you're um, right. We'll get there. You, yeah. you guys, if the pandemic ever ends, <laughs> you guys should see if you can get an invite to an ob session. I wouldn't um, mind going to check out yeah. other people's stuff and just to see yeah, how yeah. It, it operates and yeah. runs and, and what they look yeah, like. Sure. It, it's eye-opening. It, for me, it opened a whole world of the hobby I never even knew existed. So it was uh, – that was a lot of fun. Nice. I'll to check that out. Yeah, definitely. I have a couple of people I think we could talk to about doing that. Yep. That'd be cool. Sounds good. All right. Well, actually, let's um, let's let's do our like our closing here, um, and go through our normal thing. So, what's your next thing you got working on this this week? Uh, not this week, but what do you got working on currently, Stephen? What's your next big project? Um. So once I get done with the trees, um, it's back to my Ridgeway Depot and a bunch of other depots that I want to do. Um, I remember talking so, with you before on the show, and uh, you were saying that you know depots were a big part of what go into the the region that you're modeling too. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of um, that type of structure along the prototype that you're building. Right, and um, most of my depots are either um, Bantam Model Works has a couple. The rest of them are um, rags to riches. Okay. Um, and Joe Fuss runs that. He'd be another great manufacturer to interview. Yeah. Amazing kits. Um, so I've got most of the depots that I need, but they're big kits. They're complicated, extremely well done. I mean, he includes scale lock plates on the doorknobs on wow. his kits, for example. Um, uh so I I need to – it's an interesting thing. So the trees – I'm installing the trees in the areas outside the towns. And I realize I can't put any in the towns because they have to do the structures first. And the depots are typically the largest structure in each of my towns. And then everything kind of flows around that. Um, so I want to get at least the larger depots built. Um, so that's probably the next big project. And then there's a whole bunch of mines that are really cool and have all this cool – you know, rustic old lumber and, you know, some mechanics around it. So I've got a bunch of mines that I want to build, but um, I figure I should get at least get a few of the depots in so I can get some of the towns kind of 
established a little more. I love them. I love seeing those big giant mines. You have a big giant mine on your layout already. Mm-hmm. I do. Uh, I have one. Yep. And that's very impressive and well built. I mean, I really like that. The photos of it are on on the uh, you know his RGRR RGSRR dot blogspot dot com. You guys have to go and check. <laughs> don't it worry out. about spelling it. There's a link in the show in the show notes. My, <laughs> don't go by my yeah, dad's spelling. Right, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and and that one I freelance because I, I I built something in a town that actually did have a, a coaling company in it, but wasn't directly on the railroad. But I for operational reasons, right. I needed um, an industry there, and I, I kit bashed a couple of old Campbell kits. Um, ah. And massively upgraded them during the build. Um, but the other ones, um, the other mines that I've got space for will probably all be scratch built. So I've got the prototype photos. I've got the areas laid out. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of anxious to get into them, but um, too many other projects on the plate right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hear you. We got a bunch of bunch of pokers in the fire right now, and it's almost out of control. So it is uh it is kind yeah. of well, control right now. I'll um I'll go into my current project. I've extended our layout. I don't know if you saw Steven, um by two feet by five foot. Um mm-hmm. our, I I saw that when you first first posted something in it, I saw it, but I haven't seen it recently. Well, this was just last week. So uh oh, okay. <laughs> not no, much I missed that then. there has it's still kind of just plywood. <laughs> but, yeah. but um uh That's how it all starts. It's plywood with one or two structures placed on it. Um but it's going to be I don't know if you've seen pictures of our the other end of our layout where the wharf is, where my dad predominantly did most of those wharf um inlet buildings. Yep, I um, have. We're gonna do a second wharf, but on the southern side of the build of the of the city. Yeah, on the far end. So yep. there's gonna be two basically two ports on either side of the city, one on each side. Right. Um, and, and of course uh, we have a long waterfront in the front, which will be now our layout is, is officially like our, our the bay. Yeah, yeah. And now our officially our layout is officially eighteen feet by about by about five and a half feet deep. Yeah, it's getting there. So it's not very deep, but it's a extraordinarily long. Well, not extraordinary like compared to other people's. For uh, what we were originally setting out to do, it's much longer than we planned. So uh, <laughs> for, for a wharf like that, that gives you a nice long area. Oh, yeah. it is there? Oh, yeah. There is eighteen solid feet of water across the front. So, or, or right. there will now be. Now that's it's not real, real. It's not wide in all parts. No, just in the two harbor ends, it's narrow. Otherwise, right uh, along the front. But yeah, it, it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely, we love it. But so that's my current project. I'll be working on that uh, this weekend. Uh, you know, building up a little bit of a ground layer of foam and meshing it and blending it seamlessly in with the current existing hillside because um, it comes right. down from a pretty steep drop. We're going from, I mean, dang, we're going from. It's about a total of, if I had to guess, it's about a total of a. In a three foot span, you're looking at about a. Eight inch drop, eleven inch, eight to yeah. ten inch drop in scenery yeah. down to the water. So we yeah. got a little bit of work to do to form that hillside. Right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, I I posted this um, I think on my Facebook group um, a couple years ago. We took a trip to St. Louis, um, and you know St. Louis has the big arch, and under the mm-hmm. arch is a museum, 
And in that museum, they have an amazing HO scale replica of the waterfront um, before most of it burned. And it, it's got to be 20 feet long. Um, but it's, it's very similar um, in terms of elevation. So they've got you know, a long expanse of water, a whole bunch of docks and ships and um, port buildings, and then a steep incline and then a dense city above it with numerous buildings. But if you go online, there's probably some pictures. Or Again, I think I have it on my Facebook page from um, a couple years back. But I always think of your layout when I was there looking at it in person. I was thinking of what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Um because it's similar. Of course, it's Midwestern. You're doing um, – and it's on a river. Um, yeah, you're doing Northeastern yeah. Ocean Wharf, so it's a little different flavor. But in terms of how they laid the model out, I thought it was really cool. So, Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it, for what we're doing, we're, we're doing a lot of – um, I don't know if you ever seen. Now I want to go to St. Louis. Thanks, Stephen. And then he made it sound like a like like, like the old uh, the, the hole in the bottom of the sea song, where you have, uh, <laughs> the, the arts uh, below the arts. There's the museum, uh, and, then, uh, and inside the museum is the you know. So it's like like the hole in the bottom of the sea. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know if you heard that song. There's I've a, heard it. The hole in the bottom yeah. of the sea. But so I was like. Now he he just sold it like that and it, yeah yeah now I want to go see it. Well, um, probably close with this darn virus anyway. But <laughs> check, I, there must be something online. I'm sure it's it's. I'd, I'd love to know who did the work actually. I wouldn't um, be surprised if it was Jason Jensen or someone like that that got contracted. But it's it's nice modeling work. Cool. Nice. I love seeing that kind of stuff. So very cool. well. I am working on uh, for. The, uh, I'm still working on Red Rock, Rust Rock Falls. I have, I poured the water the other week. We talked about that. And then, of course, uh, now I am adding some other structures that aren't from Rust Rock Falls. Um, I did build the dance hall, and I posted p- photos of that. And I did build a little lunch shack type thing that does come with Rust. They both came with Rust Rock Falls. They are not placed on this diorama that's going to fit down into our layout on the one end above the harbor. However, um, I have built some CCK buildings that um, I'm combining with the Rust Rock Falls main mill. And those are from the um, uh, the. Sorry, that is the uh, yacht basin, Lowell's boat, Lowell's Lowell's boatworks out of Massachusetts. It's uh, the design, the inspirations from, and um, they're really neat. They they just work well uh, the way they're shaped and everything to make a giant mill structure that's multiple buildings over. You know that that all have that same kind of look, um, and um, I I'm trying to combine them. I built one. I'm going to be working on the other one tomorrow night and uh, starting to add that on. And then there's a total – there's going to be a total of five structures like that, including the mill, of course, a big mill. And then uh, and then there will be an additional piece of foam um, that's part of the diorama that adds on to the top end of it, at the far end of it. And uh, that will have our – buildings like the dance hall and things like that so um is that, yeah, the, 
is that the big mill you've got that's up against the water, or is this? Yeah. Uh, this is the one I built with the two rivers. One river runs on one side, and the river runs on the other side. Yeah, I love that. that. That's that's a, I love that kit or that Thank structure. You. Yeah, I enjoyed doing it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Doug put that together. That was a Foscale model building. And um, I, I made some adjustments and things to it to fit what we need to do. Um, it's going to have a giant waterfall that I haven't built yet. And I can't do until we place the thing on the layout. And then I'm going to take a giant waterfall off the one end of the mill. And it's going to drop it right into the bay. Uh, so that'll become something cool. I don't know how realistic that is, but it'll, it'll still look cool, you know. And um, and then on the other river, will trickle down uh, over over a bunch of smaller rock forms and get down into the into the bay on the other side. So yeah, it's it's something that we're uh, we're we're playing around with, but I'm really liking so far the the resin pouring the resin water was a lot of fun and. Uh, I had I had a good time doing that, although I had a couple hairy moments. And uh, but uh, yeah, I I love it. I mean, you've got the water flowing out of that pipe, and you've got you know little small falls. It looks great. Thank you, thank you. I I, I had a lot of fun doing that, and I, they were scary moments. You know, when you go, you spent all that time building the structure, and then you start pouring the resin stuff, and you're going, you're telling yourself as you're doing it, hey, this is this is permanent. <laughs> yeah, so, that would scare the living daily. Yeah, so, <laughs> this is this is permanent. So at first, I I poured it all, and it turned out great, right? And then once it was all done and it cured, um, then I started to put the Mod Podge on. I talked about this on the other show, and uh, the Mod Podge didn't work out quite the way I wanted it to because I I made a mistake and put some tinted coloring to the Mod Podge. And it didn't really work out like I did. It kind of looked messy and sloppy. And I thought my whole thing was ruined. And I was able to figure out I can pick that Mod Podge right off. And it peeled off like a skin. It made it brought brought it right back to the to the actual pour of the resin underneath. And it didn't scratch it or anything else. And I was like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness. I'm not using that anymore. And nothing wrong with using the Mod Podge, by the way. Lots of people do it. And um, Luke Towen used it, and that's what gave me the idea. Uh, it's just that Luke Towen didn't – he didn't pre-color his first. You know, He just used it straight Mod Podge, and that's what I should have done. Um, so what I did the second time then, of course, was use the, uh, uh, the gloss medium um, – that's uh, gloss gel medium uh, artist stuff from uh, Liquitex. And you can get it like uh, Michael's or whatever in the artist section. But I use that. And it works the same way. In fact, in my opinion, it's kind of like Mod Podge, except it dries a little little less tacky. Um, sometimes when Mod Podge dries on top of something, it has a tackiness to it. Um, this doesn't have that. So it's, it's very, very, it's very solid. Um, and then, of course, uh, but I thought it was ruined. So when I thought it was ruined, I thought, oh, my gosh, how am I going to remove this building without breaking it, you know, mm-hmm. and then start over on a new on a new base. And uh, luckily, I did not have to do that. So I was fortunate. But, you, yeah, once you start pouring that resin, you got to you're committing and you're saying, OK, well, this is it. I got to I got to be very careful on this and I got to make sure that I'm doing it right because I do not want to you don't want to drop a drop of that resin on somewhere else. So you're, you know, you're trying to be careful. If you get a drop somewhere you don't want it, like on the structure, you know you, you got a problem. So you gotta you have to be you gotta have definitely be careful in how you do it. 
But yeah, um, I've, I've got some rivers in my future, but I'm I'm watching carefully the water stuff that you're doing because <laughs> well, it looks really good. I do like using that that product. It was um, uh, that was what the heck was that stuff? Um, I have it here and I use it all up, but it's um, uh, what was that? Um, Envirotech, Envirotech, and I had great great luck with it. Um, I I talked to um, both Doug Fiscali and to uh, Craig Brotman, who also has done one recently, and uh, they told they both told me to use the uh, Envirotech, and of course I did, and I I I will use that every time now, uh-huh. absolutely, yeah. Well, I think that wraps it up. Brett, what kind of beer are you drinking? Uh, I already, we already went over that. Did oh, we? no, we didn't. No, we didn't. I, oh, dang. I dropped it. It's <laughs> well, already, it, it was empty. Uh, I'm drinking the Trogues Lucky Holler. What is it? Trogues Lucky Holler IPA. Lucky Holler. Well, oh, it was. Okay. I had one down here. It's empty. Okay. Well... Mine is actually a railroad based thing. Okay. And Ooh. Yeah, and it's uh it's called um Smokebox Steam Engine Red Lager. Oh wow. So Okay. Well there's that. So which one you guys are listening <laughs> out there? That's a cool one, name. Which one's fake? Oh yeah. Uh all right. So um oh. Thank you, Stephen, for uh, joining our sh- our <laughs> show again this week. We're like an hour and forty in on this one. Yeah. Um, so the first time, first time we did it with him, it was the longest one ever because we did it twice. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing: we had limited we had limited uh, bandwidth that we could where we could we only had so much time we could use to make a podcast. So we tried to fit everything within like an hour or so, you know. And now we go well beyond that, so it's right. uh, it's great because now we got a chance to talk to you. There was no rush, and uh, you know, and obviously we want to get you on here again because every time we get you on, it's uh, we we go off the beaten path and we talk about a little bit of everything. We covered everything. We covered trees. We covered all kinds of scenery, structures, rail cars, everything. It, it, it was cool, and we got some history with that. So. Yeah, that was that was really it was awesome to have you on again, Stephen. I I love being on. This is fun. This is great. <laughs> nice. Well, we're gonna do it again. Well, we won't wait 120. Yeah, episodes we're not waiting either. this long this time. So um, <laughs> next time we have an update, we will definitely get you on much much sooner than we did in the, in in the last uh, hundred episodes or more, 120 episodes. <laughs> so, Sounds good. Uh, Thanks again for your time tonight, Stephen, and uh, thanks again for everyone listening. Uh, listen and tune in on Monday again as I will be publishing another Toolbox Talk. So hopefully you guys are enjoying the resurrection of the Toolbox Talk, um, something that kind of got pushed to the side. It only takes like five minutes for me to make them, so I might as well just start putting them out again. Um, yep. But great. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, guys. Have a good night, everybody. All right. Take care.